passage that we're going to be spending some time on today. But it's hard to go anywhere without hearing, hearing the news that uh, Australians are feeling the squeeze. Uh, the consumer confidence levels are, are low, high interest rates, high rents, increased cost of petrol and utilities. Wages seem to be stagnating. Just think about you know, the likely response if you go and ask your boss for a pay rise. It's probably not as positive as it might have been in the past. Businesses seem to be a little bit cautious and layoffs seem a bit more prevalent. And so many of us are forced to ask the question of what sort of stays in our life and what goes. Uh, Business owners, when they're assessing uh, their workforce, thinking about do they have the right headcount, households sort of working out their discretionary spending, and and all of us sort of trying to reassess what actually is an essential purchase as finances become a little (coughs) bit more restricted. Now, it's not really unique uh, to harder times, but it is more prevalent in them Uh, our decisions always and always will show what we value. You know, if you think about how you want a holiday, some people want a a really great location and they're not really worried about the type of accommodation. Others aren't really worried where they go, but they just sort of want to stay somewhere nice. Some people are concerned about the particular brand of the car that they drive. Others are are more worried about uh, the cost of running it. Life is full of opportunity costs. We can never sort of have the best of both worlds. And so when we make decisions, what we reveal is the things that we value. Some people value eating out. And so that's where they're wanting to to spend money on. Whereas others would prefer really quality food and so happy to cook it at home. Some people uh, value you know, being able to socialise with, with friends regularly. And others want to pour money into renovating their house. You see, our decisions in all of life show what we value. And I think we all know that we value things differently. Now, if you're in the middle of a sort of a household dispute about where money should be spent, I, I don't want to validate any side of the argument here today because I think that different contexts means that a value of an object is probably more variable than it is fixed. If we think about like a a new Tesla car, it's sort of got the same price tag, everyone's paying the same amount for it, but people probably value it differently. So some might uh, think that I really want to have a Tesla branded car. Others really value the driving experience. Someone might buy a Tesla because they really just want to annoy someone else in their life. Or others might say, buying a Tesla actually aligns with my environmental values. So at some level, value is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? But often, we have to justify whether the value we place on something is valid. Whether it's trying to convince your parents that, you know, The designer jeans, as opposed to those Kmart ones, are of greater value. Or whether it's a spouse having to justify their latest splurge on the household budget. Or whether it's at work when you have to try and convince your boss to buy this latest technology. Although value is in the eye of the beholder, value isn't free from being critiqued. Value isn't purely subjective. We can value things poorly. I know this in my own life with my first superannuation investment. I was about 13 years of age and um, 
Micah, I think there's a slide there of some uh, basketball cards. Back in the 90s, teenagers were just convinced, or me and my mates were convinced, that basketball cards were the greatest investment of all time. That we would be able to have an early retirement because we were buying these cards and we had a little magazine from America that valued them. And so we'd do trades and try and rip people off with a bad card for a good card. We'd buy packets and hope for this great elusive investment. But 20 years later, I'm not really sure where my basketball cards are. I think they're stuffed in a shoebox somewhere. And because of the supply at that time in the world, really, they're not really worth much more than the cardboard they're printed on. We can all value things poorly, can't we? So the question is, what is real value? Well, I think we hear from Jesus' words today that real value is things that can deliver. Deliver on what we want them to. Now, we know that in life, don't we? A a car that can get you from place to place, take people around. A a jacket that gets you through the winter months. Or, Or the air conditioner that keeps your lounge room comfortable. And it means that people can actually be there during the hot summer days. But not only is real value in something that can deliver, real value is seen in things that last. I don't know if you've ever bought a lemon of a car, a car that you had great aspirations for but spent more time in the mechanic and ended up costing you more and more money in maintenance than it even did to purchase. The jacket that after one wash it quickly shrinks and then it sort of doesn't really have the ability to be worn or the air conditioner that you can only put on for 10 minutes a day because the running costs of it are so ridiculous. Not only is value found in things delivering, but it's also in things that can last. And and so this is what we see Jesus affirming in our passage today. Value is seen in what delivers and what lasts. And Jesus invites us to do this, to value God, who both delivers and is establishing something that lasts. God, who graciously provides because he cares for us. And now this invitation in Luke chapter 12, verse 22 onwards, is on the back of a warning where Jesus warned those around him about prioritising things that perish. Placing value in objects that we think are going to provide security or give us comfort and joy. Jesus warns about the mistake of doing this with worldly things that can perish, spoil or fade. The warning is about misplaced value. It's like giving a teenager $30 and saying, hey, you buy dinner for us for Friday night. You go to the supermarket and buy the ingredients and come back and cook for us. And they're like, $30? I'll go to the lolly and soft drink aisle and I'll get the fruit-flavoured lollies and that'll be our dessert. It's just a foolish misplaced value that is actually prioritising things that lack substance. And so Jesus' warning was that. And so in verse 22, he moves to this next exhortation that we would live a life free of worry. Verse 22, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Jesus is inviting those who are listening to devote themselves to two things. And the first of this in verse 22 is not to worry. 
And not to worry, in fact, about the essentials of life, the things that sustain and cover and protect us. Now, certainly for Jesus' original hearers, this would have been a a quite confronting message where the ability for them to be provided for their daily concerns was something that could easily be taken from them. In, in a society where there probably wasn't the kind of social fabric that meant that people were supported, where it was dependent on you and your extended family. The existence of food and drink and clothing, Jesus is saying, don't worry about that. And now for us, probably most of us aren't really in a situation where we worry about whether food and drink and clothing will exist. But perhaps our worry is more concerned with the type of food that we eat and photograph and the brand of the clothes that we wear. But Jesus says, don't worry about food or clothing because there's more to life. Jesus is saying there's a great danger in being worried about things that you consume and you wear, that you actually miss the main point of life. As we're approaching sort of Spring and, and the radio and TV are talking about it's going to be a hot fire season, it's going to be dangerous, and, and they're talking about those in rural areas having a plan, being prepared for what happens when a fire comes. And the key part of the plan is what is most valuable to you? Decide now, put it aside so that when the danger comes, you can take what is valuable. Jesus is focusing the attention here about what is most value. And he says, that's not about the essentials of life. You can easily be distracted worrying about what you will eat and what you will wear, that you miss the main point. And so in verse 24, he gives an illustration. Jesus instructs us to look at the birds for an example of how to approach life. Birds that aren't of high monetary value, are generally homeless. But the emphasis I think Jesus places on them is that they are stressless. The birds in their flying around show the comprehensiveness of God's care. And it's not that birds are lazy, are they? They're hardworking. They're keenly aware of their surrounding environment. But Jesus upholds them as an example of being free from worry. Creatures that are fully dependent on God's provision. And so the principle for us in looking at how the birds live is that we would remember that we are more valuable than them. And so if God is willing and able to provide for those creatures that have a limited value, then how much more will he provide for you and I who are made in his very image? Now, this can be a message that could be hard to digest if you're particularly not feeling cared for or provided for right at the moment. We'll revisit that a little bit later. But the first reason that Jesus gives here to not worry is about the danger of ignoring the primary thing. And the second reason in verse 25 not to worry is that it doesn't really achieve anything. It doesn't add anything to your life. Worrying isn't going to add any days to your life or height to your stature. In fact, it's probably going to reduce your lifespan. 
Stresses are going to reduce your capacity today. I don't know about you, but often I think we confront a major issue in life and we think that worrying about it lots shows how important it is. It shows that we're serious about it, that we're not taking things lightly. To, to not be anxious or worried about something might devalue the significance of the thing that's in front of us. But I think this is misguided. You see, there's a difference between taking time over a major decision and seeking wisdom. We can be intentional in coming to the Lord in prayer over a particular aspect that is before us. We can wait patiently for God to open up a door to show his leading. And we can do that calmly and still show the seriousness of the issue that is before us. Worrying is not a necessity to emphasising decisions in our life that are significant. Jesus, in fact, says worrying simply doesn't help. Don't kid yourself that you're being productive by worrying yourself over something in your life. Verse 27, another illustration, the wildflowers. Again, as we sort of come into spring, the regional areas of Australia are being covered with these native flowers that just spring up. They're so unproductive, but they're splendorous. And so this image of the plains being covered in beauty is a reminder that God provides and he cares. And so Jesus' instruction here is don't worry about how you look because God cares for you. Not only can worry be about what we have, but also about how we present. Those hours in front of the mirror, the reason that we go to the gym, the money that we spend on clothes, the number of selfie retakes that we have to have just so that we come across well, or finding that exact filter so that we can present ourselves in a particular way. Jesus says don't waste your time on that. Why are you so concerned about others' opinion of you? The danger is great, Jesus says. If you're so concerned with others' opinion, you might forget that God cares for you just as you are. That these fields that he clothes in a magnificent way, even though seasonally they die, the grass that is here today and burn up in the next fire season, this grass which is so temporary and insignificant, God attends to that. So how much more will he attend to you? Jesus here is offering a reminder and a rebuke. You are so important to God, so there is no need to worry about the things that you eat, the things that you wear, or how you appear. And so then in verse 28, Jesus makes the link between faith and worry. And now this isn't saying that if you have an anxious personality or that you're struggling with anxiety in any way, that it's simply a lack of faith. But setting our hearts and our worries on acquiring things, worrying about the things in our life that we want to control, being overwhelmed by circumstances that are clearly out of our control, is contrasted here by Jesus. Worry versus faith. Faith is entrusting ourselves into the care of the one who is in control. And so Jesus, Jesus furthers the comparison in verse 30. 
a life lived without faith and one that does. The pagans who have faith in their own strength and their own plans, who are busy and hurried and anxious, they're contrasted with those who live a life of faith. Jesus here, like a good salesman, is sort of offering the features and the benefits. I had to try and get some new glasses this week and the person there was a good salesperson. Uh, they were, they'd heard the things that I was prioritising and uh, then they found products and they talked about, well, this feature is going to help the benefit for the problem that you want fixed. And Jesus here is sort of outlining the features and the benefits of a life of faith. And the feature of a life of faith, what does it look like? Well, it's seeking his kingdom first. Trusting in God's commitment to care for you. Believing that those who are devoted to the Lord, he will provide for. And the contrast is a life of getting all worked up. A life of anxiety and worry versus a life of peace and calm. And so Jesus is inviting us all to this life, this life of faith. The life that is seen in seeking first the kingdom and then trusting in the benefits of that. The assurance that God will provide. That God will deliver on his promise. And in the language of a shepherd in the flock, we read there that he cares for his people. Now again, let's sort of dive into this this claim that God cares for you because right now you might not feel that God cares for you. There might be real questions about whether he is providing for you. And I guess if that is your reality today, we just need to remember where are expectations being formed here? What is God actually promising? Well, what we know from the Bible is that God knows our need. But we live in this age of the now and not yet where all of the richness of his promises whilst assured because of the work of Jesus, aren't fully realised for everyone. We live in an age where we can expect many trials, many hardships, and for some people that might mean poverty, that might mean seasons of famine, that might mean prolonged financial strain. These are not evidences that God doesn't care for you, they are evidence that this world is brutal and harsh and broken, And in need of restoration. So this isn't a promise from God that essentials to life will always be accessible for his people. But it is a promise that the kingdom that is being established is a kingdom that will last and a kingdom where you will eventually not be without. And the security for us is that God delivers on his promise. As we sung, Jesus was risen from the dead. And so this invitation from Jesus is a life of faith. To make God ultimate. To seek first his kingdom. But what does that really mean? It's some pretty good Christianese, isn't it? Just seeking the kingdom. It's like someone sort of saying, Oh, you know, I've just gone and spent all this money on this lavish holiday. And it's just like, well, okay. Do you want to explain that? And I think from verse 33, Jesus does sort of explain what it means to seek the kingdom. This isn't the entirety of it, but this is a demonstration of it. 
Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. That's what it means to seek the kingdom. (laughs) To care for others more than you care for yourself. This is what investing in what lasts means. Valuing people. Participating in how God is going to care for his people. You see, what's demonstrated here in verses 33 and 34 is sort of like a little ecosystem. The invitation is to trust that God will provide. And how will you show faith in that? Jesus says, you'll sell your stuff and you'll give to those in need. So that is actually the very means by which God is then going to provide for others. Through the generosity of faith, others will be provided for. And what is our role in the ecosystem? Well, there's an opportunity for us to show what we truly treasure. For us to place value in what lasts. You see, we can either be all in trying to build our own kingdom, where we can live by anxiety and fear, where we can try and make the temporary permanent, where we convince ourselves that our vulnerables can be protected us and that we can have security. Or we can just be all in on a kingdom that lasts. A kingdom that won't be stolen, a kingdom that can't perish. So the question for each of us this morning is, what are we devoted to? Are we valuing things that might deliver in the short term, but certainly won't in the long term? Are we living a life devoted to decisions and effort to please people? Are we under the illusions that we can provide security for ourselves and our family? Or are we just all in for a life devoted to what lasts? Giving ourselves fully to our Father who promises to provide everything that we need. Our Father in heaven who who knows us and cares for us and will provide now and will provide fully then. You see, friends, there is an objective value on our life's decisions. What are our decisions showing that we value? Are we prioritising things that last? It's interesting, many of you will know that Helena and I have been sort of exploring um, whether we can uh, buy a house and part of that is sort of talking to a mortgage broker and they sort of get you to fill out this living expenses audit and uh, talking to, to the guy, sort of going through it. And uh, I'm like, oh, so yeah, we, we give to some charities and churches and stuff. And he's like, oh, but that, that's, that, you don't need to do that, do you? Like, that's not permanent. I'm like, oh, well, I guess you know, no one's forcing us to do it. We're doing it out of obligation. But then, you know, as he's thinking about the, the line on the budget about entertainment, oh, well, you know, you need to take your kids to the movies and stuff, so you need to give yourself a fair bit of money there. And it's just a different value, isn't it? Valuing things that last or valuing things that are temporary but fleeting. Now, I'm not sort of saying, you know, never go to the movies. 
But if we think about the things that last, and if it's a choice between, you know, being able to holiday in a particular location or, or supporting Joel and Amy so they can have a house that is opening up to the, the community in Lidcombe, that they can be free to these, these barbecues down at Wiley Park, or whether it's a choice between, uh, I guess, the, the type of food that we eat regularly and uh, supporting uh, Pierre, mobilising students on campus who are then going to go back to China, or Jeremy, counselling those who are going through really hard times, then there is a different value, isn't there? Things that last and things that are fleeting. You see, I think as we're living in this age where the cost of living pressures are real for most of us, there's a great opportunity for us to start compressing our giving, to think that that is our first discretionary item. But what we hear from Jesus about seeking the kingdom is actually prioritising faith and dependence on God's ability to provide is actually, that's an essential, that's an essential item. And so when we explain our finances to a mortgage broker who's sort of looking at where everything's going, it should look different if we're a follower of Jesus. They should sort of scratch their head and go, like, really? Now, whilst it should be different, it's not vastly just incomprehensible. It's just that we value things in different ways. It's a life valuing things that last. Now, I do think one of the dangers that we face as we consider Jesus' words here is that we, we feel like we're the asterisk, we're the exemption. Surely Jesus wasn't talking about people living in Sydney. Does he know how expensive Sydney is? Top 10 places in the world to live. How can we justify giving stuff away? I think the great danger in looking to claim the exemption is that we're actually not playing our part in the ecosystem and we're actually missing an opportunity for us to experience God providing for us in real ways. You see, God is a gracious God who provides. And we actually experience that as we need him to provide for us. As I was thinking about this passage this week and and reflecting on on our life, like 2010, Helena and I moved from the country back up here and and we were studying and we were supported by people. And, um, you know, our, our budget to of what we needed when we came was very, very minimal. And do you know how God provided that first year? It was crazy. A garbage truck drove into our house and most of our possessions were destroyed and we got this massive insurance payout. And that actually paid our rent for the next 12 months. That's how he provided. And over those three years, other people would just, at times unknown to us, say, oh, look, we've got this money for you. And do you know how often it just totally aligned with when the rent needed to be paid? God is gracious. He's the one who provides. And it's when we actually put ourselves in situation to need his provision and to live by faith that we actually see how much he cares for us. And and so the features of this life of faith that Jesus is inviting us all to participate in is to seek first the kingdom. 
But we can't hear this as the removal of any worry or anxiety from our life. Jesus isn't saying, if you are anxious at any moment, you are sinning. But he is inviting us to to experience a movement from worry to peace. As we make decisions in our life where we are dependent on God, we get to experience the way he provides graciously for our needs. We have the opportunity to participate in God providing the means for others. And so this invitation is to live a life that's just all in for the kingdom that lasts. Valuing the things that God is doing now. Devoting ourselves to a gracious God who provides abundantly and who cares for us. So friends... What are some decisions in your life where you might need to realign what you're valuing? Is there something that you might need to just make a note of now to to revisit during the week to go, yeah, look, I probably just need to chat through that or rethink that or stop that or start that? Jesus invites us to a life of devotion to the God who is gracious and provides. God delivers what is ultimately going to last, what a joy it is to participate and to see that, and that we will experience it fully then. Let's give thanks to him in prayer, and then we'll do that in song together. Let's pray. Our loving, gracious Father, you do richly provide for your people. Father, we do admit our lack of faith. We do confess that in many ways we have made decisions where we have tried to build our own kingdom rather than seek first your kingdom. We thank you that in Jesus there is forgiveness. Realign our focus, we ask. That we would value the things that last. Grow us in a life of devotion to you. Thank you for your providence that is so evident in our lives and in this world. May we be thankful 